Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry, and we are talking about church government part three. If you hear cackling today, we have a guest with us. Say hi, Taylor. Hello. Say it louder. (laughs) Hello. That's Taylor. He's our live-in paramedic. He's just he's uh he's just hanging out. Yeah, he's doing. Yeah, we are we are actually inviting him in. He will make any comment he thinks is wise and necessary, or he'll just sit there in the leather chair that we have in our undisclosed location. He's here to keep relaxing. us in check. Yeah. All right. Enough of this banter. <laughs> Sorry, it's my job to keep us on task. We are back with Systematic Theology three with the topic of church government. Government. <laughs> I sound like some southern hick. Government. 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 We uh, have worked through the systems, very systems that exist. We then took on the idea of elder rule, which we are arguing is the best model when you look at the New Testament. Uh, at the same time, many systems exist. They all ultimately rely more upon tradition rather than explicit evidence from the New Testament. And that's why we don't agree with them. Uh, so we worked through the history of elders in the Old and New Testament uh, and began to deal with the actual terms, uh, the lexical part of the study. And we, we talked about presbyteros and episkopos. Uh, so we're going to finish that uh, in this episode by considering the other terms the New Testament uses and then put them together to form a basic conclusion. So as we do it, it's important that you understand that these terms are all used interchangeably. Uh, and so with that in mind, let's just jump right in with the other terms. So the next one uh, that we would want to look at is the term shepherd or poimain uh, is the word, uh, but it just means to shepherd. We use the word pastor. Uh, that's the same word. It's a rich word. It conveys tremendous amount of me- uh, meaning. So when the Jew would hear that word, Uh, It would be flooded, that person's mind would be flooded with a very beautiful picture of the attitude in which the oversight of the church was to be carried out. However, we need to recognize that there are parts of the New Testament that were actually written to Gentile audiences, and they would not have that same presupposition that undergirds a picture or metaphor of a shepherd like a Jew would. For the word for shepherd was often used in, in a metaphorical sense. So poimain, this is from the New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology. Uh, the word poimain means herdsman, shepherd. It's an Indo-European word which frequently is used in a metaphorical sense. It's for leader, ruler, commander. Uh, Plato reminds us of the religious use of the word when he compares the rulers of the city-state to shepherds cared for their flock. And so in the ancient East, um, actually it should be ancient Near East, uh, shepherd at an early date became a title of honor applied to divinities and rulers alike. 
Okay, so there's a there's some Old Testament usages, obviously, of this term, and what? Get the microphone closer. It's close. Or, or is it touching your lips? Well, it's about to. Well, okay, fine. I'm, 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 if, I'm right if, in the realm in which I need to Lena be. If Lena complains that we have to work with your voice take, at a I'll different take, level, I'll take you'll the have heat. to take it. Yep. Um, so there, there's many, uh, many usages of shepherd in the Old Testament. Most important one, though, for our purposes, is the use of shepherd in relation to God. So the famous one, or an, a famous one, would be Psalm 23, uh, commonly referred to as the shepherd psalm, and it describes Yahweh as shepherd. Um, so in, in verse 2, we see that he is taking David to places of rest. Uh, in verse 3, he is the shepherd who guides David. In verse 4, he protects the flock with his staff. Uh, so that whole psalm is just a, a good one to see how that idea of shepherd is working itself out. Psalm 68 and verse 7, God is described also as being the shepherd who goes before his flock. In Jeremiah 50 and verse 19, God leads his flock to pasture the feed, uh, pasture to feed, I should say. Uh, in Isaiah 40 verse 11, he gently carries the lambs in his bosom and gently leads the ewes. Uh, in Isaiah 56, 8, he gathers and disperses his flock. Um, and then uh, the ultimate use of shepherd metaphor is found uh, in the idea of Messiah. So uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 through 4 in that famous passage, it says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. And so this is, this is the earliest unmistakable application of shepherd uh, with reference to the Messiah. Uh, Ezekiel 34 um, is also a, 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 a rich passage. It's full of royal and pastoral pictures of the Messiah as shepherd. Uh, it has a great warning in application in New Testament elders as shepherd. I did a lot of study in that passage when there's a great, uh, in the New Testament, or no, in the, the biblical theology series um, that, that's edited by Carson, mm -hmm. um, there's one called Shepherds After My Own Heart. Um, really? And it's a biblical theology of pastor tracing it out from Genesis to Revelation. And this was like the one of the major key passages. Yeah, it's a huge one. Yeah. Um, but in this passage in Ezekiel 34, there's, there's, there is great warning and application for New Testament elders. So in verses 2 through 6, it uh, talks about the failure of the shepherds. Um, and it's important to note that in the Old Testament, kings, prophets, and priests were all seen to be that, that role of a shepherd. Uh, in verse 8, he uses the phrase, my flock, four times, um, and the shepherd's self-centered interests. So it's God's flock, but you see these yeah, shepherds. Yeah, it's all about their own. Yeah, and it's a giant rebuke against. Well, <laughs> our, our modern church today and how pastors don't pastor. <laughs> right. Uh, in verse 10, God puts himself in enmity with these shepherds. Uh, again, you'll note the terms or the phrase that are my sheep and my flock. This is God's flock. Uh, and then verses 11 through 16 it describes how God will now go to his flock. So so that's the Old Testament idea of shepherd. And that's what a lot of people, when they read the New Testament, they see the word for shepherd. They they apply that 
automatically. And for the Jew, that kind of imagery is what would come to mind. But a Gentile would not necessarily see that. Um, so, and we're going to try to bring that out now that we move into the New Testament. When you go into the New Testament, it almost exclusively refers to Jesus Christ. And so we see the gospel speaking of the lost sheep of Israel. So in Matthew 9, 36, he says, uh, it says, seeing the people, he being Jesus felt compassion for them for they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Or Matthew 10, 5 through 6, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, so this would strike a very deep chord in the hearts and the minds of the Jews because they also knew that passage in Ezekiel 34 and about how the, the leaders had been unfaithful shepherds. Uh, then you have Matthew 18, 12 through 14. That's the lost sheep parable. The hearers would be aware that Yahweh, as well as the Messiah, is the one searching for the one sheep who has wandered away. And so we see Christ picturing his ministry, his ministry drawn from Old Testament background material. Uh, this passage stresses the nature of the shepherd's activities more than stressing the title that the shepherd takes care of his flock and seeks those that get lost. Uh, John 10 11 through 16, that's the famous I am the good shepherd passage. Uh, here, Jesus is openly declaring himself to be that shepherd. He speaks of his death. He speaks of his flock being made up of both Jews and Gentiles. But one of the major points of the passage is the good shepherd's concern for his flock. He makes a strong contrast between himself and the hireling. And this is very important for us to remember when we examine the next passage, which is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. So listen as I read it. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so this passage refers to elders and their responsibilities. Uh, the book was written around AD 64 to a primarily non-Jewish audience, however. And that's important to remember because the readers would not be intimately familiar with the Palestinian shepherd life. And so we should not try to read Jewish Old Testament ideas into it. Yeah, now the, the typical interpretation of that passage primarily focuses upon the shepherd's task of guiding, guarding, feeding, things like that. In other words, it'd be looking at that Palestinian shepherd, such as David, uh, and then try and spiritualize it. And to one degree, we'd say that's acceptable, but that doesn't get at the heart of the passage's intent. Um, remember, uh, for Peter, the idea of shepherding the flock or the flock of God carries a special import. So you have to think to that passage in John 21, 15 through 17, uh, where Jesus is looking at Peter and says, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. Um, and he had lived for three years in a very intimate relationship with the chief shepherd, essentially. So the last thing on his mind would have been the lifestyle of a shepherd um, that you'd pick up from the Old Testament. Rather, he'd be thinking of the character of the 
under shepherd as it was modeled by Jesus. Therefore, while it is not wrong to see the aspects of feeding and leading, the primary intent is upon the elder's character, um, but it's a character that's to be mirroring mirroring Christ. Yeah, in a sense, it's it's kind of like what we do in our premarital. We tell the husband that he's to love his wife as Christ loves the church, right? Yeah. So we, you, you're to preach Christ to your wife every day in the same way an elder ought to preach Christ to his church in his words and his deeds. Yeah. Now, Peter does call himself an elder. Um, this is probably during the time in which he was responsible for the church in Jerusalem. He understood their responsibilities, um, and the command is to shepherd, it is to pastor the flock, which is God's flock, and the way they were to do that was through exercising oversight. Um, but it's worthy uh, to note that in this passage, we see all three words together. We've been talking about that. Yeah. They're, they're interchangeable and synonymous, so pastor, elder, Overseer. These all aren't three, three are, distinct groups. It's right. all one and the same. So Peter says that the elders were to shepherd with a willing heart in verse two. Uh, they were not to do it for financial gain uh, or sordid gain, but rather with an eager heart. And they were not to to do it by lording it over the flock. Uh, rather, he instructs there, but being an example. So the idea of lording it over doesn't deal with authority, which too many try to make it sound like it does. Um, usually, you know, when the congregation doesn't like how an elder or elders are making decisions, they can often be accused of, well, you're lording it over the flock. It's like, no, you just don't like what decision yeah. they've made is what it comes down to. Um, rather, it means to rule over people, uh, but with intent to take advantage of them. You're, you're using them, they're tools, in other words, and you're, they're being used and abused for your purposes. And that is important because you, you know the history of our church, um, that we actually had a major point of uh, strife in the church because we would not allow a person to have uh, a leadership role in the church unless they were a member. And the guy wanted to lead a, a new ministry, and we said, you're going to have to join the church before we consider it. And he took great umbrage at that, and his argument was, you're lording it over me, um, and you don't have that authority to, and he began to cr create a lot of dissension. And I, my point to him is no, because the other half of that is not lording it over them, but proving to be an example. I said, I'm a member of the church. <laughs> um, everyone in leadership is in the member is a member of the church, and so we're, we're pro showing you the example that you ought to follow. But they, it's almost always the thing thrown into a, an elder or pastor's face is you're just learning it over when, in fact, no, it's got everything to do with that taking advantage. And it's, yeah, I, I don't know, just hope, hope people will hear that and not use that against their pastor someday just because he's made the decision that he needs to make. Well, yeah, and understanding how an organization works as well and the nature of leadership, right? So a lot of people that, you know, kind of kick against that or want to just throw that in your face. It's like, have you ever led anybody? <laughs> and have you ever had to make decisions for an organization or to yeah. move a body of people in a certain direction? And you have to make decisions and you have to say no to certain things or yes to other things. And not everyone's always yep. going to be happy. In fact, I actually told another man that was a friend of his, he was complaining about it as well. And I said, you know what? Tell you what you ought to do. You ought to leave here and go form your own church. And I said, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray that not only do you succeed, but that you gather a whole bunch of people just like you. And he, he felt that I was being mean to him. I'm like, I am. I said, I wouldn't wish a church full of people like you on anyone. Uh, 
that you complain, you fight, you resist, you rebel. I said, the nature of leadership is that you set goals, you set directions, and you make decisions. And um, you're going to have to either get over it or come under it. But anyhow, so miscellaneous terminology. Um, what we're going to do here is we'll touch briefly on some other ways the New Testament does make reference to those who lead the church. Now, we're, we would argue that these are not new categories. They're just simple designations for those who would be elders. So an example in Ephesians 4.11, the teacher, it's closely linked with the word shepherd or pastor. Uh, so it's that he's given us pastor teachers. Uh, there's somewhat of a debate in some circles whether he refers to two separate offices, but grammatically it's best seen as one office discussing two different aspects of the pastoring teaching uh, aspect of that role. It shows a very close relationship between shepherding, therefore, and teaching. Um, and it's key to note that the rest of the passage shows that the teaching is not in a vacuum, but it's to affect the listeners so as to build them up and equip them. Uh, and that's a very important part of any elder's responsibility. And it's why in 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul admonishes the people to give double honor to those who especially labor hard at teaching. Along with that, it also correlates with the requirement that an elder must be able to teach. Yeah, which is not the same thing as having the gift of teaching right. necessarily. You just need to be able to teach. Yeah, because remember the primary role is to instruct in sound doctrine and then defend against false doctrine. So there needs to be, I think it's the word apt, or yes. is how yes, it's sometimes apt. translated. Um, so if you're an elder, that doesn't mean that if, if you desire to be an elder, but you don't feel like you have the gift of teaching, that's not what it's talking about. It's just you got to be able to speak into situations as yes. well. Uh, in Romans 12, 8, it talks about those who lead. First Thessalonians 5, 12, it describes it as having charge over you. In First Timothy 5, 17, uh, it's the language of rule. Uh, and all three of those have that same root word, which in the original is prahistemi, uh, um, which is, it's a compound word that has a basic translation of to stand before. Um, and its its basic meaning is just to preside or rule over, basic, uh, essentially. So the word's also used in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 4, where it says, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control and with all dignity. Um, also used in 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Uh, and then the next one would be in Hebrews 13, verses 7, 17, and 24. Uh, in the verse 7, it says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Uh, in verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they give watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And then finally in verse 24, Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. Notice that they're to be obeyed and submitted to. They guard the people's heart, which is very similar ter similar terminology as that given by Paul to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. Uh, Peter's words in 1 Peter 5 also, where he says to watch over the flock. Um, that's such an important thing, I think, that a lot of churches have abandoned, where the pastor doesn't show any concern for what 
what the lives of the people of the church look like, you know, of, of what they watch, how they comport themselves, who is their influence. He's, it, 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 we've really lost that important element of pastoring, of that he should be a man that's always aware to the best of his ability, the well-being of his church, and he should be inquiring when we, he sees disturbing, I don't know, I don't know if I'm making well, yeah, sense. Well, I, th- I think in part, I have to imagine that some of that's due to the view of the pastor now, where he's basically a talking head on Sundays who's to just be an inspiration. Yeah. You know, he's to inspire me. I just kind of live vicariously through him. I need to get recharged on Sunday. But don't come poking around my house. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> don't, yeah, don't look too carefully. Well, and then you look at the number of pastors that keep continuing to fall. Yeah. Um, and you realize they probably don't want you poking around too much because they're you're going to find out that they literally are a talking head. Um, but one of the things that is heavy on our minds all the time is that the scripture there says that we will give an account for their service. Uh, this is key for both the leaders and the congregation to remember. And I would I would encourage everyone listening to this, if you're not in the role of a pastor, ask yourself, you might even ask, Go if you really want to find out. Go ask your pastor whether or not you're a joy to pastor. Are you easy to lead and to shepherd? Um, it, it can be very eye-opening to you if you ask him to be brutally honest with you, because um, the pastor is going to give an account for everyone who walks through the door, and and. That passage says it will be unprofitable for you, right, right, exactly. that, that God literally will create stumbling blocks in that Christian's life if he makes it hard for the pastor to pastor. Yeah. Um, and, and yet, so, so it's not just make your pastor's life easy, it's make it a joy and God will bless you in that. He will remove stumbling blocks. If, yeah, and then just at a, at a human level, it says, obey and submit to your leaders for they keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. That's a command. Yeah, it's, it's actually a, a Let them do yes. this with joy for, so he makes an argument, this is profitable to you. Um, the reality is that when you're not a joy to pastor, a, a faithful pastor is going to keep trying to shepherd you. But there is that point in which they realize you're just not having it. And they just sort of pull away because yeah. there are people who want to be shepherded. Well, what is the result of that? Well, your life now, you're not being cared for in a real way. And yep. it's not a profit to you. And with Hebrews being a book all about, well, the sub-theme being perseverance of the saints, one of the ways in which you will persevere to the end is by being faithfully shepherded. Yeah. Um, and so if you're not a joy to shepherd, <laughs> it, it has to do with your own perseverance. Well, it, and it's true because there's times where, you know, just metaphorically, you're trying to lead a person to a better pasture land. It's like, you know what, you it's time to break free from Max Lucado. <laughs> it's time to grow up and, and eat uh, sound food and stuff. And, and you find them constantly back in the other pasture. You're right. There comes a point where you're like, you know what, you clearly don't want to be led into this. You don't want to do this. Um, and so you're going to begin to hear the voice of your shepherd less and less and less. And then you're going to wonder what's happened. Well, you you silenced your shepherd. You you told them no thanks. Yeah. Um, and there is nothing good that comes from that. So it's important that the congregation can make their le- leaders' lives miserable, but it always ends up hurting the people right, in right. the end. Now, there is some interchangeability of terms when it comes to this concept. 
Um, there is a lot of confusion that has occurred about church government over the centuries because of just that refusal to look at what do these terms say? Uh, what do they mean? The most prominent is how we differentiate in so many churches between like the idea of bishop or elder or pastor um, as if these are different things. Um, and so it is our proposition to you that these are all the same offices, which is what we've been talking about. Um, there, there are different titles but the purpose of using different titles is to convey those different shades of emphasis uh, that that one role has. Um, and so in Acts 20, for example, uh, Luke writes from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So he uses elders there. Uh, I think it's funny also that Paul doesn't go back to Ephesus, a place he loves. He actually has the elders come to him. And I actually used this passage once when people were trying to tell me that the elders are no different than the rest of the church. And I'm like, no, they are part of the church, but they're also a distinct group in themselves. And they they kept rejecting it. And I just showed them this was a passage I show them. I'm like, no, he didn't ask for the whole church. He only asked for the elders because yeah. they're, they're a subgroup, if you will. It's a good observation, yeah. Well, of course. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Okay, uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> Pull it back, man. Bring right. it back. Um, so that, that's Acts twenty seventeen, And then in verse 28 of that chapter, he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So now, now it's a different term. Um, for what purpose? To shepherd, so he switches again, the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Um, and so you got three different word groups here, elders, overseers, and then the purpose statement, to shepherd. Um, and if these were different groups, then their duties, you know, would be simply redundant. Yeah, he, he's, he, there's no evidence that he's switching to different groups. It's the elder is the overseer, the overseer is the shepherd, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in Timothy 3 and 5, Paul uses the term for overseer and elder. Um, in 3 and verse 4, it speaks of the overseer to rule his house well so that he can rule the church well. But then in chapter 5 and verse 17, it is the elder who is ruling. Um, so so in, in verse 5, you have the word elder, which is that term presbyteros, and then in verse 7, overseer, which is episkopos. That's in Titus. Uh, I'm sorry, this is Titus 1. Um, so yeah, here's how we see Paul is easily, again, just switching between these terms. There's no explanation. Um, there's just that apparent assumption that the readers would have understand that this is in reference actually to the same office, the right. same role. Now, we can make some, you know, just some observations here to sum up what this lexical survey uh, of terms reveals. First of all, there's simply no biblical data that would support a system in which there are bishops, elders, and pastors functioning at different levels with different responsibilities. That is not to say that those kinds of systems, and obviously many churches and denominations have adopted this, but that is not to say that those systems are inherently wrong in every single aspect, but we do think that there are many foundational weaknesses inherent to that um, and inherent to these complex systems that have been made um, by so many churches and denominations. Uh, power shifts too often from the local church to entities that are not churches, uh, that creates problems. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about the upper offices in the denomination where the archbishop, it's like we've stepped out of the church in a sense, and we're now into this extra-biblical 
yeah. structure that's not the church, but somehow he has massive authority into the local churches. Where he doesn't know the names, he doesn't know the issues, yeah. other than what's being reported to him. Um, Which is, I think, why his church history is replete with examples after examples of no denomination ever remaining faithful because, you know, the power rests outside of the local church and up into these upper reaches of power that's not connected to actual shepherding. But Right, right. Um, and just because Christians are working together in some capacity— we would say that there's no reason to call that a church. You know, if you're thinking about like a parachurch organization or even a denomination. Yeah. So like part of the SPC, it's not a denomination, it's technically a convention, but there's no promise of blessing with that. Right. Um, but when a body of people gather together for the purpose of worship and ministry under the oversight of qualified, gifted leaders, then you should rightly expect, expect blessing. That is God's design and what he has established. So as you were mentioning, church history is littered with failed organizations of every stripe that's defaulted on the faith, uh, that faith once were all delivered to the saints. But in the midst of that, shepherds were raised up by Christ to lead the faithful out from the midst of those who would love lies and power over truth. And that is something that is always taking place at that level of the local church. Yeah. Uh, second, we would also say to look at the local church is as a place t- that you should look t- to the local church, rather, as the place to wield authority if you are in leadership. The local church is not the stepping stone to greater things. It's actually the end goal if what your goal is is to lead the people of God. Um, so just think about that. What's your goal if you get into denomination or you're looking to get out of the local church and up into the higher echelons? Then you at least be honest that you're not really interested in shepherding uh, and caring for the people of God. Third, treat your pastors and elders with love and respect if they're faithful men. It is always amazing the level of love and respect a person shows to the big-time preacher. Um, This was painfully obvious when the celebrity pastor rose into prominence here in America, and everyone's looking to get selfies with their their favorite popular pastor. I'm, I'm just going to tell you this from my own heart as a pastor who's been pastoring for a long time. You hurt your pastor. Uh, when you look at those who do not actually shepherd your soul and you show greater respect and love for them than you do to the man who actually gets up every single week and preaches the Word of God to you and then has you in his office or comes into your home and speaks into your life, you hurt them. Um, and you show incredible disrespect when you exalt somebody else that you heard on the radio who has never once spoken into your life, never once cared for you, never once rebuked you, encouraged you, prayed with you. Um, it's important that you think about that. Just, I'm asking you to tuck that away. Uh, it's time for the church in America to just dispense with that whole celebrity pastor idea. Anyhow, if if the local a leader is a focus of the New Testament, what we would then say is that we should be looking to arrange ourselves under truly qualified leaders. And so we will look at that at the next study. What are the qualifications to lead the people of God? But until then, make certain to tune in, join this conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on elder and elder rule and overseer bishop. But don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and tell a friend.